those who participated during most of those 25 hours are feeling a little bit physically, you know, depleted, but our spirits are strong and our minds are grateful to the Lord for all the things that we have been able to accomplish during these 25 hours of prayer. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a wonderful, wonderful, encouraging, energizing time in the spirit. Both English ministry was involved in several hours, the Spanish ministry, over 25 ministries of the church were involved at one time or another. Amazing, amazing time. And um, my sermon this morning is going to be uh, centered around this time and some of the, the insights I think that God has uh, given me uh, through these uh, 25 hours of, pray, uh, of a prayer. Um, but I'm going to base my comments on one verse, two verses actually, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. These are for me life verses. I, they, they have informed my life and my, my ministry. The building that we've done over the 20 years of building that we've engaged in, the change from Cambridge where we were for 15 years to, um, to the coming here uh, in, to Boston and relocating and all that that involved. You know, everything that I do in my life and my ministry is informed by... Uh, the call that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy, who was a younger, uh, I, don't, I don't qualify there anymore, but <clears throat> Timothy was a younger uh, minister. Really, for the, for the age, being 30 or something like that was like you were a child. And uh, Timothy was a pastor and a protege of uh, Paul's. And uh, Paul writes to him in this very pastoral letter, giving him advice and giving him encouragement about how he should conduct his life and how he should conduct his ministry. And so he, he tells Timothy this, 2 Timothy 2, 1, 6, for this reason, and what is the reason, by the way? He's talking about, uh, you know, this lineage, this ancestry, this distinguished ancestry, spiritually speaking, that Timothy has in his, uh, in his uh, grandmother and and uh, his mother, and so on and so forth, who were exemplary women of God, and, you know, how God has invested in his life, and so on and so forth. And, of course, the fact that he is a minister, that he's serving God, and that he has Paul as his, you know, as his mentor as well, and so on. And so he says, in the light of all of these great things that you have, ha you've achieved in your life and that you have received in your life, for this reason, <clears throat> I remind you, in the Spanish uh, uh, version of uh, this passage, it says, mira que te mando. It says, see, I'm commanding you. You know, that, that, that's the idea. You know, it's a very stern, uh, very deliberate um, charge that Paul is giving. And, of course, that comes from the Greek. And so I think the NIV may not capture. This I remind you sounds a little wimpy compared to, hey, be careful. I'm reminding you. I'm telling you. I'm commanding you. Uh, for this reason, I remind you, it's a clear calling, and that's for you and for me as well. That's for all of us this morning. The Lord says to you and to me and to congreg congregation, I know Judah, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that what? Which is in you. Notice that he's not saying um, to pray that God will give you the gift. 
I'm, 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 I'm not asking you to, to pray that you will receive the gift of God. No, he's saying, I'm asking you to do something with the gift that already is in you. The gift is resident in you. You have it already. You don't need to ask for the gift, Timothy. The fact that you are a minister, that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, that you have been mentored by me, that you have exercised your life in ministry, you have it. But he says, but fan into flame. And maybe we'll have a chance to break that down a little bit. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Through the laying on of my hands. How did uh, Timothy receive that gift of God? What, and what is that gift? The gift of the Holy Spirit, of course. The, 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 the filling of the Holy Spirit. In so, at some point, Paul, in a moment of a prayer, or maybe even in ordination, committing Timothy to ministry, had laid hands on Timothy and had proclaimed the gift of the Holy Spirit for service on his life. And he had declared and asked the Holy Spirit, come into his life. Just like uh, Samuel did with uh, Saul and, and with David by anointing. You know, uh, the, the, the laying on of hands and the anointing of a person is a symbolic impartation of the gift of God. So Paul had prayed for Timothy and had infused the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit with the authority, the apostolic authority, the pastoral authority that he had. And it is presumed that the Holy Spirit did what he says that he will do. If we ask him, if we, if we intercede, if we impart, if we declare in faith, God will. I mean, you know, you may ask God for, uh, the, for a big, shiny, expensive BMW. He may or may not give it to you. But if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. Because that, that there's this, God wants to give the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you ask, you know, the problem with many people is that they ask, they receive, but they expect something like, you know, ten angels to come and all of a sudden be standing around them and singing great celestial harmonies. And, and all of a sudden, hallelujah, and they, they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not about that. It's about you asking the Lord believing that you have received, and if there's no obstacle, then you have it. You know, and then, you know, where, where people fail in the life of the Holy Spirit and the Pentecostal life is in applying, in applying. Many of us have received, but we have not moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have not exercised ourselves into the full manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm already in danger of abandoning my original intent with the sermon. Because there's something very important here, but that's fine. Maybe it's another way of developing the same idea. But anyway, he says, Fan into flame that which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gives us does not make us timid. Does not make us timid. Another, another version is we have not received, because we have not received a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, 
but rather we have received a, 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 a gift of power, love, and self-discipline. But again, let me not miss that point, brothers and sisters. You know, all of us want the power of God in our lives. All of us want uh, to live spirit-filled, effective lives. And many people ask themselves, well, how can I, risk, how can I get that? You know, in Pentecostals, we tend to complicate things a lot. And there's all kinds of exaggerations and, um, you know, overdressing of this process. I, I, you know, I, I've, I've always uh, taken a much more clinical view of uh, the, the living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, it's not about emotion, although emotion is great. I love emotions, and I love when the Lord takes hold of my life and and I feel the Spirit of God leading me to cry out and to shed tears and, and feel the joy and feel the intensity. That's wonderful. But you know, 99% of the Christian life is not about emotions or about feelings. It's about decision-making. It's about consistency. It's about believing that what God has promised in your life, He will accomplish. It's about believing that if you ask the Lord, and it is biblical, and it is within the parameters of what God says that he will do, um, he will do it. And even whether you feel it or not, whether you have the emotions or not, then, you know, that's, that's secondary. You start moving in what you have received, even if your emotional neurological system does not register it. But you believe it. It's by faith. It's not by feelings. And then you start walking in the spirit-filled Pentecostal life, believing that as you begin to engage in holy action, the Lord will not disappoint you. He will meet you on the way. It's as you walk and as you move in what you have received, in what you have asked for and believe that you have received, as you do it in faith, regardless of whether you feel convicted or anointed or not, as you do it, the Lord will show you that you do have it inside of you. He will not let you be ashamed. The Lord says that they will not be ashamed to trust in the Lord. And you know, part of the, the, the ineffectiveness of so many Christians is that they have not learned that secret of um, trusting in the Lord and not in their emotions. One of the images that has always helped me a lot in, in my Christian walk is the image of a pilot flying a plane 30,000 feet above the ground on a dark night over uh, an expansive ocean behind him, in front of him, and to the sides of his plane. This pilot does not have any way, no landmarks, to guide him. There's no Empire State Building or, or Prudential or whatever to tell him that he's in Boston or headed toward Boston, seeing it in the distance or seeing the lights of Boston in the distance. There's no point of reference except, except a, a totally un, nondescript ocean around him and the darkness of the night. And he's too far up to see anything anyway down there. What does the pilot depend on? Does he depend on his sight at that moment of anything that he's seeing? He can't because there's nothing, no point of reference. Does he depend on his feelings of, you know, I feel that I'm going in the right direction, in the right direction toward Boston. Does he depend on, on uh, 
you know, some expert that has some sort of a supernatural sense of direction or something like that. No. You know what he depends on? His instruments. He depends on that computer and uh, those instruments that are equipped to tell him longitude and latitude and height and the direction and so on and so forth. He has to watch these little instruments that would seem to have nothing to do with the physical direction that he's following. And he has to trust that those instruments, if they're saying you're going north, that is going north. That if those instruments say you're at 30,000 feet and not at 3,000, that he's at 30,000 feet and he won't crash against a, a building that is, you know, whatever, 40 stories high or something like that. You know, and uh, all he trusts is the instruments. Well, what, what, what are our instruments in the expanse of life where often not only don't, don't we, we don't have any signs of God's affirmation and presence, some of the signs that we have are negative, actually, <clears throat> and they're misleading, and they're telling us that we're going south when actually we're going north, that, 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 telling us that we're going down when we're really going up, <clears throat> telling us that God has left us when God is more than ever present in our life, telling us that we have abandoned the road when actually God is saying, no, what, all I'm doing is I'm taking you in a detour to strengthen you, prepare you so that when you get back in line and when you arrive, you will be able to consolidate what I'm giving you. What are the instruments? It is what, for me, the instruments are the Word of God, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the, the systems that He has established, the laws that He has established. And I know that if I'm following those laws, if, if my conscience doesn't reprove me, if, if, our, if, if the Word of God affirms what I'm doing, if I examine myself, if I examine my actions and, and, and God is, is every, every instrument, every um, point of reference seems to say, yes, you're in the right direction. Continue. Don't worry about whether you, you see anything or whether you feel anything. You, your instruments are correct and they're saying, yes, continue. Then I will continue. You know? And, and that is the secret, brothers and sisters, to a spirit-filled life. There are, yes, there are moments for great emotion. And there are moments when God says, hey, come, let's have a party. And, uh, and you know, then, yes, you celebrate, you revel, you enjoy, you recharge in that moment of passion and intimacy with the Lord. But then it's time, it's Monday morning, and you got to get back, and you got to work, and you got to invest. And, you know, life cannot be a party all the time uh, with God. Your, your nervous system can't stand that anyway. Imagine if you were always on a high. You would burn your neurology to a crisp. Most of the time, the relationship with God and His Spirit is like a good marriage where you simply know that you love each other, you are committed to each other, and uh, you work and you come back home and, you know, you cook dinner and then you go to bed after taking a shower or not. But, um, you know, and then you have moments of passion, great intimacy, great revelry and enjoyment and, and thanking God for the blessing of having a marriage or family, whatever. But most of the time, it's simply living life as a soldier, 
great discipline. And simply, what does the word say? I do it, and I trust, I leave the rest to him. And uh, this is what I think the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy here, you know, uh, about um, reminding him to fan into flame. Now, why, why do I, uh, and I, all of this, by the way, again, that's the difficulty with sermons. They, they take forever if you really develop them fully. Um, the, the reason behind this is these 25 hours of uh, effort that we have engaged in in, the past, in this weekend, because it's, it, it's a, it was a time of great effort, great investment, and actually moments of a great um, conflict. Have you ever heard of Zoom bombing? How many know what Zoom bombing is? Anybody heard it? Can you raise your hand? A Zoom bombing. Those, this is a new verse, a new verb here in, uh, in the new technology. It's when you're having a meeting in Zoom, this technology, and somebody invades the meeting from outside and takes over and hijacks the meeting and begins to uh, put images and sounds that have nothing to do with your meeting. It's like somebody crashed into your meeting from the outside in the most violent obscene sorts of ways and starts putting obscene images and obscene sounds and here you are worshiping the Lord in this intimate moment with your brothers and sisters and somebody comes in and starts throwing the most obscene, horrible things in your screen and it's like your whole being is, uh, you know, shaken and impressed by, by what, what is happening. Um, so, you know, that was part of it. We, we had about three or four of those moments. Thankfully, we got better toward the end, and we were able to neutralize it. But we had two incidents, you know, that were really unpleasant. Um, but, you know, I mean, after the initial, after the initial impression and, and, and just huge sense of violation, you know, I personally, I, and I encouraged the others who attended throughout these 25 hours, said, hey, just shake it off. You know, it comes to the territory. When you're invading the enemy's territory, which is media and, you know, electronics and so on and so forth, he's going to be bothered. He's going to try to come in and, you know, subvert and uh, do damage. And you got to be stronger than him. you got to simply shake that off, um, rebuke it in the name of Christ, and continue doing what you got to do. But there were moments like that in, these, in, these, uh, in, in this effort, you know. Uh, there were moments of uh, sleeplessness and, uh, you know, uh, lots of effort for me, for all those who were leading uh, this thing for our extraordinary technological co-hosts and hosts that were controlling and protecting and managing the whole technology, aspects of things. They had to be on the alert, you know, and in uh, control of the technology for 25 hours. Uh, there was a lot of effort done. There was a lot of coordination that had to be uh, exercised. You imagine 25 hours, each one of those hours, involving many people who are going to be praying, each one of them have to pray four minutes, five minutes of prayer, and then giving it the next moment of prayer. Imagine some, imagine trying to control uh, intercessors to four minutes of prayer. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, t tying, a, trying to tie a bull, let's say, with, a, with maybe sewing string, something like that, you know. And, and we had to do it for every hour, you know, 10 times, sometimes four minutes each person for an hour to prayer and getting them, you know, you got to stay within that, so on and so forth. A lot of effort, a lot of coordination, 
coordination between the leaders of each team, each group, each ministry, over 25 hours, including 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and so on and so forth. Huge amounts of effort that had to be uh, exercised. And, and, and uh, in a sense, this is what is involved in this idea of uh, Paul, fan into flame the gift of God. Because the reason and the, the intent and the vision behind this idea of uh, these 25 hours of prayer was, Lord, fill your church with new strength. Fill Lion of Judah with your power. Um, give us new energy for this time that we are living in. Uh, give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding and uh, courage to open up our church and touch, uh, touch the hearts of your people that they may return after all this time away from church and after all, and heal them emotionally after all the uncertainties, the fears, the questions, the losing of their employment and their, the financial uncertainties and want to heal them. So this was a time, this was conceived as a time, the Lord put it in my heart to engage our whole community and our leadership particularly in a time of renewal through prayer, through intercession, and that it would involve all the ministries of the church, English and Spanish, uh, worship and ushers and women's ministries and youth and everything, that the whole church would be like immersed with uh, people praying throughout these times. I, I, I think that we had at least 200 people at one point or another in the course of those 25 hours pray. Inclu taking into account those who, you know, there was a number, I would say maybe 15, 20% who prayed in one more, one, more than one ministry because they're involved in other things. But if you take just single prayer, I estimate that we had at least 200 people who engaged in prayer. That is in direct prayer, public prayer. Then there were others who were affirming and praying along the lines. And we had hundreds of people through YouTube, through Facebook, through Zoom, throughout this, the course of those 25 hours engaging in prayer. And don't you think that if we do that, that the Lord is going to answer? Come on. Don't you think that if, you know, we say, Lord, we, we believe in your faithfulness so much that we are willing to engage in this effort that is so demanding. And we believe that if we ask your Holy Spirit to recharge our energies, and we do it in a way that is, uh, you know, reasonable and well-conceived and disciplined and well-organized and well-orchestrated and deliberate, involving different areas of the mind and of the spirit, we believe that if we do that, you will answer and you will come. Now, you will not stand in your throne up there saying, ah, I'm not impressed at all. No, your heart of father, of a father will be moved and say, wow, look at my people. They believe. Doesn't the Lord say that in, what is it, Second Chronicles 7, 14, the very famous, famous verse? If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Talking about the temple. I mean, it's like a mathematical formula. It's like a law of physics. If my people do what I tell them to do, 
if they humble themselves, if they pray, if they sanctify themselves, if they believe in my Father's heart, if they ask me for uh, a piece of bread, I will not be sarcastic and give them a stone. I will give them bread. So what is our part? Our part is to do our part. Our part is to pray. Our part is to examine our heart. Our part is to uh, come before the Lord in supplication to say, Lord, we're not able to do this ourselves. We depend on you. We need you. And then what, what is the Father's part? He says, my ears will be open and I will pour my spirit. Now, it may take a little time to do that. You know, that's, that's one of the problems when we ask the Lord, Father, fill me with your spirit or Father, bring revival to the land or Father, do your mighty works. We think that, you know, it's going to happen right away, immediately. Boom. Abracadabra. You know? And, you know, God's processes are much more complex than that. Sometimes they take decades. You know, God's brain, God's mind thinks in terms of millennia. He's an eternal God. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees all the pieces of the puzzle. And, and sometimes, you know, being a strategic God also, he thinks in terms of moving pieces. And he, and, you know, and, but we, we're in a rush because we want instant gratification. We're in a hurry. We only got 50 years. You know, some of us only got 20 years in front of life. And, and so we, we're, we're urgent. I mean, we want God to do this now. And God is not in a hurry. He will answer in his time. And what is your part? To look at the instruments and to say, well, I've done all that I could. I believe I've done my part. Now I'm just going to move in it. I'm going to continue doing what I need to do, and I'm going to trust that he will do his part. Okay? And then you, you continue doing that every day. You, just like you brush your teeth every day. You know, there are petitions that I bring to the Lord every day. I, I sound like a, a Catholic uh, reciting the rosary. Always, you know, Lord, do this, do that. I bring, I bring my family before you. I put my wife and my ministry and my life before you. My children, our grandchildren, my church, the people who are suffering by name, and so on and so forth, the needs, the financial needs of the church. I recite these needs, these prayers every day, and then I trust that God is listening, and then I go about my business. I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I feel that I have invested well, that I've done all that I could for the kingdom, Amen. that I've discharged my responsibilities before the Lord well, and then the rest, I leave it up to the Lord. And tomorrow, you know what? I'll do the same thing again. And one day, I will find myself in the presence of God, and it will be all over. And I will hear his words, hopefully saying, good, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the small things. I will place you in the high, important things. You know, this is, what, this is all we can do. We, we have to trust in the Lord. We have to simply do. As pastors, you know, our, our charge is to keep our churches strong, keep our people motivated, to bring the Word of God before them, to encourage them when they're struggling, to um, give so that the church can continue doing what it's doing, to encourage them, to move them, to inspire them. This is what we do every day. And it gets boring after 36 years of doing this every Sunday and every Wednesday and more times as well. In other, you know, it gets after a while, but what? That's life. How many times do you breathe per minute? And how many, how many, how many breaths have you taken since you were born? Are you tired of breathing? 
And maybe you are, but I mean, I, I have news for you. If you stop breathing just because it's repetitive and, and boring, you know, pretty soon you will solve your problem. You will stop breathing. Okay? Permanently, as a matter of fact. But you do it. How many showers have you taken in your life? How many times have you brushed your teeth in your existence? And you do it. Because that's the nature of life. That's the nature of life. And that is our lot in life. And we simply do it. And we find moments of enthusiasm and joy in that routine. And those moments we refresh ourselves and we stir ourselves up to good things and we continue doing it every day. The secret of a successful life is that, my brothers and sisters. I think a lot of people who fail in life um, and those who have failed and cannot somehow find the, the way to success is because they have not mastered the mundane. They have not learned to deal with boredom, with routine, and with sameness. They expect life to be a constant party, going from one drug-induced moment of enthusiasm to another, expecting that somehow tomorrow they'll be full of joy and motivation and, you know, great intent and then that the, tomorrow will be, uh, the day after tomorrow will be the same. And, and then when they don't get that charge of adrenaline, they feel abandoned by God. And they feel, no, I don't, I don't want that. No, I think the people who succeed in life and who do great things, even in the secular world, are those that are willing to repeat the same thing over and over and over again until they become masters at it. Until they become so good that nobody can touch them. It's not about talent alone. There are hundreds of thousands, possibly, of gifted uh, violinists in the world. But only a handful become world-class violinists. Why? Because they're willing to engage in eight hours of practice every day, of playing the same scales, going through the same motions with their fingers and with the other hand, and, uh, you know, getting their ears trained to perfection by repetition, by persistence, by just doing the same thing over and over and by dint of uh, persistence and discipline and with the gifting that is already in them, they become world class and they achieve the glory. That, that pianist that you're seeing there playing those great Chopin nocturnes or, or concerti and so, so forth, you know what? They, 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 that moment of greatness and celebrity before an audience of thousands is preceded by thousands of boring hours of execution and exercise at home where nobody's watching them. And it becomes, it becomes ingrained in their neurology. And at that point, it's not them who are playing. It's their fingers and their, their neurology because they have just engraved it into their nervous system. And it is like that also with the spiritual life. You have to fan into flame the gifting of God that is already in you. Now, if you have asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life and you have sought the Lord um, to come and, and to fill you, because this is the essence of the Pentecostal life. This is the distinction between being a Pentecostal and being an evangelical. Both great iterations of uh, the Christian faith, but Pentecostalism uh, depends on this idea 
that you need more than just a generic acceptance of Christ in your life, which is wonderful, and that really, that's where the essence of, of the Christian life is. But you also need a visitation. You need an impartation. You need an additional uh, endowment after you have received Christ, who is the foundation and the base. But on top of that, you need power, dunamis, you need authority, you need energy, you need impartation. And that comes from the Holy Spirit uh, actively moving inside your life. And there has been a moment when you have asked the Lord or somebody with authority has imparted, imposed hands on you. And you have believed and you have uh, received that impartation, that inundation of power. And then now you believe as you move that the, the gifting of God will be there to support you and back you up. Not just your own strength and your own intelligence and your own uh, endowment of na natural talent. And that you have this power of God moving invisibly within you and uh, giving your emotions and your actions additional mysterious effectiveness. But you know what? The days pass, and before you know it, you're going to be feeling down again. You know, the wear and tear of life will uh, slowly deplete you. It's not that the Holy Spirit inside of you is depleted. It's that your brain, your mind, your level of faith is inundated with the sameness of life and the struggles and the falls and the, and the unpleasant moments and the exertions of life and the routine. All of these things are like dust falling on this beautiful gleaming surface of the power of God on your life. So what do you do? You, you have to be like a good house um, wife. You, you find a dust, dusting thing or whatever or a cloth you apply something to it and you clean it and get it back to its original shine. And you have to do that all through your Christian life and your life of ministry. You will have to do that hundreds of times perhaps. Because you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but then you need a, a, an additional filling. You know, there, there are many passages in Scripture that tell you about that. Uh, you, you know, the, the mysteries of God, they, they incarnate and they... Uh, fall into time and space and into the laws of matter and of human reality. You see, the mysteries of God, the supernatural nature of God's move is not uh, separate from functioning within time and space and the laws of nature and of physics and of human biology. God works, I mean, why? Because we are, I mean, His power has to be channeled through a brain that has to interpret it. It has to be channeled through a body that if it's feeling worn down and tired or if it's discouraged, you know, that, that energy will be interpreted through that context of negativity. And, and so um, we have to be aware of that. I think part of the problem is that we Pentecostals, we idealize the, um, the nature of the spiritual life and we're not cognizant enough. We don't consider enough the fact that we are human. 
in a human world, in a fallen world, in a fallen neurology, in a fallen brain, in a fallen emotional system that needs to be replenished occasionally. You drink water and you may be refreshed and excited about the coldness of it and, and the freshness of it. But what happens, your body will consume that liquid and it will need more. You know, with, with the Spirit is, of God is like that too. And because we're not sufficiently aware of that interplay between the human and the divine, often we run into the risk of uh, oversimplifying God and oversimplifying the, the Christian life and not being respectful enough of ourselves. I know that God respects us extraordinarily because we're his creation. And God delegates. God is the supreme CEO. When a CEO delegates to someone uh, a task and gives them authority, he says, okay, now you run with it. Don't come to me telling me, should we put three screws into the, into the, 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 the mechanical piece or four? No, that's your business. I'm giving you the sources, the resources. I'm giving you the people. I'm giving you the, the charge. Now you go ahead and figure out how many screws go into that mechanical piece. That's not my problem. My problem is to conceive ideas, to, to be aware of the major uh, um, principles, the governing principles. You do your part, and I expect you to be competent, and I expect you to do it well because I'm going to be watching. And if you don't do it well, I'm going to go after you, or I'm going to take away your authority. I believe in delegating, but I believe in delegating, and when I see results, I will always, I'll give more freedom, and that's the way God works also with us. And so, you know, God is like that. God has created this incredible being, which is called the human being, with marvelous gifts and, and, and resources. And then he takes that marvelous general being, and, and when they come into the kingdom of God and uh, into the dispensation of, of uh, the kingdom, then he also imparts upon them even more. He energizes them. He gives them power. He gives them authority. He gives them a mind that is illuminated by Christ. And he gives them the principles of the word of God that continue to train them and, and, and strengthen them. And then he says, okay, now you have that. Now move with it. And, and make sure you keep it nice and clean and strong. And when you need something, you come and pray to me. And if it's legitimate, I will give you more. But don't come to me, you know, uh, because you already have 90% unused of what I've given you, and you're asking me for more, use what you have, and then let's talk. You know, but there are many believers who are not using all the gifting that God has given to them, and they come to God, God, I want more. Give me more. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. God says, I've baptized you a hundred times, fool. Now, come on, do what you got to do. Move in the power of my spirit. Amen. You know, this is what we need to understand this interplay, this interaction between God's power and our agency. You know, we are the most sublime creature that God has created. And God has delegated extraordinary authority on our lives. And we have to be aware of that. Not to be conceited or proud excessively, but to know our, our standing before God. You know, the, uh, 
part of the, 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 the character of a Christian, we, we oscillate between great confidence in ourselves and our gifts and in this great God that we have and this sense of privilege that we have as believers and also total dependency on God. You know, God doesn't want you to be throwing dirt on your face. Oh, I'm not worth anything. God, I don't deserve anything. I'm a miserable worm. No, God said, you're not a worm. I don't create worms to serve me. You are my creation. You are, you are my servant. I have blessed you. I have endowed you with gifts. You have my Holy Spirit within you. Move with confidence. Move with uh, expectations of my visitation and my support. Look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a humble man. He, he, was, he knew who he was. He knew that he depended on God. I mean, he knew that he didn't deserve anything. But do you see uh, the Apostle Paul groveling? On the contrary, I think he's sometimes perilously close to having a, too much of a healthy ego in him. Actually, Paul knew who he was. He knew he was a servant. He was no groveling, miserable creature. And, you know, the uh, Christians who have the Holy Spirit in them, we have to walk in this balance between great confidence in ourselves as we are grounded in God and a total sense of dependency on Him, knowing that we have nothing that we can do without ourselves, by, by ourselves. So a believer sometimes may seem haughty and excessively proud to some because uh, they move in that confidence of their stature in God. And at other times they're saying, Lord, I, I know who I am, and I, don't, I know that I don't deserve a single moment of service to you, and that only by your sheer grace can I stand before you. And there's always this balance between humility and this great sense of uh, the authority that I have in this God who has empowered me, who has redeemed me, who has redeemed me, who has dusted off all the gunk from my life and has sent me off to serve the greatest kingdom that has ever or ever will exist. And even saying that is a stupid thing because the kingdom has no, no categories. It has no comparison. There's nothing. It's, it, it, it is. And in the light of the kingdom, there's nothing else around. Nothing that could be mentioned in the same breath, ultimately. And that's the kingdom that we serve. We serve. And that is who you are. You, a, a servant is defined, the dignity of a servant is defined by the dignity of his or her master. And, and uh, we need to understand that, you know, in our lives. Because this is what's going to determine what God is going to do through Congregation Lion of Judah and through your life, whether it's you who are studying law and, uh, you know, working for a great future in your life. And that's why I say we, we, we had that conversation, you know, study, read, read all you can, invest, work hard. God is not going to just uh, visit you while you're asleep, you know, wasting time, creating grease. No, he's, he's going to visit you as you as he, as he finds you on the way, on, on the journey, in your path, working hard. If the Lord finds you, let him find you working. Let him find you investing. Those great moments of, of encounter in the Bible, you know, many of them are with people who are working. God finds Elisha when he's working in the field with his oxen and meets him there and, and uh, imparts a calling on his Life at that moment. God meets Moses when Moses is out there taking care of the, of the 
cows or the goats or whatever it was as a shepherd. He was working in the field. God meets him there. And always, you see, in the Bible, those moments of encounter are moments when, you know, when he calls David, he's out there in the, in the sheep field working with the sheep. You know, God, he has to be called from there to come and receive the anointing from Samuel. You know, God does not appreciate lazy people. Gideon, he finds threshing wheat in a cave. Yeah, he was running from the enemy, but at least he was working inside the cave. God does not appreciate people who are just consumers. Come to church. They are excellent um, evaluators of sermons. You know? Not even... uh, uh, not even uh, wine experts are as good as some of the people in our churches in, in evaluating a sermon. The, yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're like, uh, <laughs> what, what is the word, you know, wine person, uh, the, that person, the expert in wines? There's a word for them. Yeah, but there's another word for it. You know, you have to become like an expert, a, a professional. Uh, a sommelier, a sommelier, Yes. You know, we, we have a lot of uh, sermon sommeliers in the church. And they are stuffed with sermons. They are stuffed with theology. They are stuffed with prayer sessions. They are stuffed with worship places. They, actually, there are specialists. You know, there are people who just go from church to church consuming sermons, consuming great preachers, consuming the latest celebrity Consuming the, the greatest, the, the, the latest exotic truth that is coming out in the kingdom. But examine their life and examine the results of their life and you see a uh, foliage. They're like the, the, the fig tree that Jesus cursed. Huge amounts of leaves and no fruit. Why? Because they fail to put into practice that key truth of the kingdom. That it's about taking the power of God, disciplining yourself and running with it and taking the electricity of the kingdom and pushing it through a very thin wire, forcing it to achieve maximum friction and to light up the world. This is, these, are the, these are the principles. They operate in the natural world and they operate in the supernatural world as well. And, and the key is this, this idea, fan into flame the spirit that is within you. In other words, this is, what, this is what you are expected to do. You know, if God is going to turn Lion of Judah into something more powerful than it already is, and by the way, I think by for the grace of God, we have achieved a lot of things, and praise God for that. You know, these, these 25 hours of uh, prayer showed one thing. It's about, you know, throughout that time, you know, the beauty of, the beauty of that time was, um, you know, these, I, I always love to see uh, the diversity that is uh, resident in this church. You know, seeing African Americans and, and, and Anglo-European people and Latinos and Asian men and women, educated, non-educated, women who have been uh, risen from the dregs of life. I, there's one woman, for example, in the, in the Latino ministry. She came destroyed, as she herself uh, said uh, yesterday. I, I've followed her journey since uh, being captured by the Lord. 
and you know, she's a perfect exemplar of all the, the, the destruction that can be wrought on a human life. And seeing her in that moment as she prayed in one of the sessions, beautifully dressed, lovely countenance, reasoned uh, uh, discourse, uh, dignity, passion for the Lord. And I compared that moment with when we knew her. And, uh, you know, if I, had, I would have been an atheist, I would have been reconverted at that moment. I really, you know, I said, Lord, you do great things. My point being that, you know, the, 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 the beauty of, you know, seeing all the stuff that went into that time and seeing this great community that God has enabled us to put together for his glory, by his glory, by his sheer mercy, that's a miracle. That's something gorgeous and worthy of being celebrated. Because sometimes, you know, we tend to, like, just throw dirt on our, on our heads, you know. Oh, we're just, you know, we're doing nothing, this and that. I don't like it when people criticize my church unjustly, by the way. I get a little bit irritated when people neglect to see the beauty that is resident in this extraordinary community. And, uh, you know, we have grown accustomed in this world of so much comparison, um, you know, where we have all these huge ministries and the Internet shows us these displays of grandiosity and so on and so forth. And we tend to look at ourselves. It's like, and that has done such damage to marriages. It has done such damage to so many things. It has sent so many people into depression it sends teenagers into great moments of self-deprecation and so on because they see these extraordinary, gorgeous bodies floating around. And they don't realize what that, you know, costs. And they look at themselves. They look at their slight imperfections. They don't realize that that person has been cosmeticized to no end by the time they get to the Internet. And, uh, you know, we tend to compare, compare, compare and not see the beauty of what God does in our lives. Don't ever compare yourself to anybody else. You know, you are God's beauty and creation, and God is proud of you, and God loves you. And believe me, anybody that you look at deep enough, you will find the faults in them. Even the most gorgeous body, even the most perfect life, it's, it's got imperfection in it, and it's got its moments of great depression. Why do you think great artists and great movie actresses commit suicide or are always taking pills and so on and so forth? I'm not saying all of them, but, you know, it's a lot. You would think, no, these people, they have money, they have beauty, they have power, they have influence, they have friends, they have great houses. They shouldn't be depressed. Why? Because if you look deep inside, yes, they do. When they sit on the toilet, they're just like you and me. <laughs> Forgive the graphic nature of my illustration. We're all the same, ultimately. Amen. And we have, to, we have to value ourselves. We have to value our life. We have to value our achievements. And we have to continue working hard and just serving the Lord. Let the devil do whatever he wants. You know, you are a creation of God, and you got to do what you got to do. But in any case, my point being that, um, you know, the, the only way that God is going to lift us up to a new height and a new level of effectiveness, and I'm going to ask my people to help me, please, and come here so I can stop talking. Um, you know, the only way is it will depend on us, not on God. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. You know, God has done everything that he is going to do, I think, for the time being. He has delegated his power upon us. He has given his spirit. He has given us his promises. He has given us his word. He says, I want to do it. And now it's for us to do our part and to stop asking him for, for more. Let's just get to work. 
You know, Michelle uh, Charles was talking yesterday in, in the, and she was talking about Hege, which I had in my mind. Hege is an amazing book for our times. Hege chapter 2, in the rebuilding of the temple. And, and uh, you know, God says uh, to, uh, to the people of Israel, and I, I'm finishing with this, I promise you. Hege chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. And I believe I have the NIV version here, or the ESV, I don't know, but this may be different, but it's the same thing. Um, in, in Hege chapter 2, which is the same a version of the same thing that, that, he, that Paul says to Timothy, but way back, a thousand years before. You know, God says to Hege, uh, his prophet, ask the people, you know, they, they have come from exile, the temple is destroyed, they have not exercised their responsibility and their task of building the temple. They're dedicated to just their own little concerns about their own life, and they've neglected the temple of God. And God says, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house, meaning the temple, in its former glory? How does it look now to you? Does it not seem to you like nothing? It's torn down, it's small, it's, you know. It says, and this is what he says, but now, <clears throat> and he says that to us as well, but now, this but now of God, but now, be strong. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a, a civil official. A civil officials have, you know, a lot of responsibility for civil works and works of construction that affect the whole city or the whole nation. So he says to this uh, governor of uh, Jerusalem, Now, be strong, declares the Lord. And he says to Joshua, who is the, the high priest, the, the, the spiritual authority. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, because it involved the people giving and uh, volunteering and working hard for the rebuilding of the temple. So he's speaking to all of the different, the civil authorities, the spiritual authorities, the people themselves, rank and file. Be strong. This be strong is a very strong be strong. It's not just a strong like any other. This be strong means um, exercise yourself. Be diligent. This is the same be strong that God says to Joshua when he's going to enter into the promised land. He says, I tell you this, be strong and courageous. In Spanish it says, mira que te mando que te esfuerces y seas valiente. I may be partial, but I love the Spanish. I prefer the Spanish anytime. Mira que te mando que te esfuerces y seas valiente. Doesn't that sound a little stronger than just be strong? It means, hey, brother, look at me. Look at me. You better exercise yourself. You better work hard. You better be diligent. You better be courageous. You better wake up every day and do your exercises and make sure you work hard on behalf of my kingdom. Be strong and be courageous. Why? Because I am with you, for I am with you all the days of your life. This I am is the same, I am with you, is the same I am with you that Paul says to Timothy. Fan into flame the spirit that is within you. That, that power of God, that presence of God that is with you, in you, fan it into flame. The idea of fanning into flame, most of us don't deal with flames anymore. We deal with electricity, right? But in those days, you know, fanning, those of us who come from, you know, the... Un underdeveloped world, quote-unquote. Many of us still know what it is to take, or if you do barbecues, you know, you can remember, you, you may know what it is. You know, you take a piece of carton, and you take the embers, 
uh, of, car of charcoal that are just little, you know, burning somewhat, and you, oxygen you oxygenate them. You fan, and you, what you're doing is you're putting oxygen into that heat. And uh, there's a point when that oxygen and that heat react with each other, and boom, a flame erupts. Fan into flame. Fan like a woman in, you know, in some small village of Africa or the Middle East or Latin America trying to get food for her family. And, you know, there's a little bit of fire in there, but it's, it's not enough. It needs help because if, if it just does it by itself, it's going to die out. So she gets something. She begins fanning into flame. And after a while, you know, those embers, they begin to get hotter and hotter and hotter. And they get redder and redder and shinier. And then all of a sudden, she's got fire. Now she can cook for her family. She can do things with that fire. And this is what Paul is saying, fan into flame. But if that woman doesn't do the fanning, the, f the fire, all the laws of physics which are integrated into that substance will not do what they need to do. They require the energy that she is applying to activate that chemistry. And it's like that with you. I mean, the Spirit of God is in you. If you have asked the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you, to move in you, to reside in you, you have it. You have it. You have it. If you ask the Lord for it, the Bible says again and again, you know, if you ask, the, Jesus said that. You know, if a father who is at least mixed in his intentions because of his fallenness, knows how to give good things to his children. How much will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him for it? I mean, how, how much clearer can you be? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to enter into your life? Have you said, Lord, I believe it's not about my feelings, it's not about my emotions, it's not about whether little angels came and sang hallelujah in my ears. It's about your promise, your faithfulness, your goodness. And then you believe and now begin to walk as if you have it. Don't listen to your inner voices. Listen to the instruments. Look at the instruments. That's the secret. That was the secret in my life. When I was a young boy, I went all over Brooklyn, New York, asking churches to pray for me, Pentecostal churches, black churches, Latino churches especially. I wanted to receive the Holy Spirit, and nothing happened. And people prayed for me, and you know, I, I, I don't know, I expected to be lifted off the ground and to be slammed against the wall. And since that didn't happen, I assumed that, you know, nothing had happened. Then years and years later, right here in the Emmanuel Gospel Center in the South End, 1983, 1982, I, f I found myself after a year, time of revival and, and desert experience in my life, I found myself alone waiting for a service to start in the room where our church was being planted. Long story there. And I said, you know, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would fill me for decades, and I forgot. I, I became so discouraged that I just, I forgot about asking God to visit me. But today, I said to myself, you know, today, I am not going to get up from, and I, I knelt, and I said, I'm going to ask the Lord to set, I'm going to settle this with the Lord right now. And I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me. 
and I opened my mouth and, and I uttered the first sounds that came to, to my being. And these are the first words in tongues that I <clears throat> spoke. And you know, that thing of tongues, don't let it complicate your life too much for the moment. That's another matter. But I did. I opened my mouth because I, I expected, again, little angels to come into my tongue and start moving it with little forks or something. No, I just opened my mouth. I uttered words. And I, I did receive a, play, a prayer language that I still use 30 years later or more, th almost 40 years later. And I settled that with God. And then I said, you know, from now on, I'm going to live as if I have it, as if I have received it. And I'm not going to start questioning myself. And I have felt tempted to question myself many times. I have. I have, I have, but I've just shoved those doubts aside and I've continued believing that I move and I live and I minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there have been moments of great exaltation, you know, where God has visited me and, and almost burned my neurology with the sense of God's presence. But most of the time, 90% of the time at least or more, I simply work in a disciplined fashion. I get up, I minister, I serve. I don't pay attention too much to whether I'm depressed or tired or, or discouraged or whatever. Or in defeat, I simply get up and I say, Lord, I'm going to serve you until I die. And I want death to find me serving you and exercising myself on your behalf of your kingdom. I'm not going to pay attention to my emotions because they're, they're treacherous. Okay? And I move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I serve the Lord whether I'm being seen by somebody or not. It doesn't matter. I serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit is with me. Okay? And that is fanning into flame. I could go on and on. But fanning into flame simply means putting into exercise the substance, the presence, the being which is in you, who is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, the dunamis, the energy, the authority. I want you to do that this morning. If you want, let, let's stand. And uh, let's, uh, let's move to a, a, another zone right now in, this, in the realm of the Spirit. Forget about anybody who is around you right now. Just you. And ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into you and to revisit you. To refill you. I was feeling discouraged a little bit uh, a few weeks ago and actually the origin of this time of prayer was because I, I, I started asking God, I said, you know what I, I need to start, I mean I gotta apply this, I, I forgot this that I preach all the time I'm gonna start asking the Lord to fill me anew that's what I need, COVID has uh, weakened me a bit the routines and the distractions and the distortions of this time have uh, diluted a bit my spirit so what do I do I need to just fan into flame the spirit again you'll have to do that every once in a while you know you'll have to ask Holy Spirit and I started asking Lord visit me again Holy Spirit fan into flame I find into flame your presence Holy Spirit come let me feel you and and the idea the action of praying and asking and receiving by faith and declaring God's power, that is the fanning into flame. It doesn't matter what the words you use. It is you exercise yourself to stir yourself up into strength after moments of uh, discouragement and uh, inertia. Say, Holy Spirit, I know you're there. I just need to 
Take the dust off my emotions. Come, I want to fall in love with you again. Fill me again. Visit me again. Holy Spirit. And, I, and I'm going to walk knowing that you are there. And you know, it's the funniest thing. In the, the, next, in the succeeding days, I began to, again, feel that stirring of God. I, I could almost sense, you know, the <clears throat> that, that presence of God moving in my life again. And that's what, <clears throat> that's what um, culminated in this time of prayer. <clears throat> I said, we need to do that. As a church, you know, we, we've been... We've been pummeled by COVID. <clears throat> We're fearful. We're, we've lost our hunting instincts. We need to get back. We need to stir the spirit that is within us. And God responds, you know. God responds. So right now, come on, make love with the Holy Spirit. Just ask the, the Lord, come, fill me anew, Father. I, I, I rebuke discouragement out in Jesus name I take authority over Satan Satan we take authority over your ways and your methodologies which seek to uh, discourage us and fill us with fear and timidity Lord we confess that you have not given us a spirit of timidity and over carefulness you've given us a spirit of power of love that balances power and of a mind that thinks well, a sound mind, a mind that sees reality in high definition, ultra high definition, and sees the world as it is meant to be seen through the mind of Christ. We confess that spirit right now in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Spirit. I command you to fan into flame the Spirit of God that is in you. Come on, receive. Open your mouth spiritually and receive a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit, energy for your, to play your instrument, to sing songs to the Lord, to, to see your future and to move with confidence that God is with you, to do things that will terrify you. But you do them anyway because you know that God will not allow you to fail. You may have scary moments, but you will arrive and you will succeed. The power of God is in you. Come on. He will not allow you to be ashamed. If you move in confidence, oh God, he, he, He's going to meet you where you need to be met. So people of God, let's commit ourselves to a spirit-filled life. And I, I charge you to read about the Holy Spirit more and to, and to apply the laws of the spirit world more in your life. To just move by faith. Get yourself out of your comfort zone. Do things that scare you and terrify you and make you uncomfortable and make you lose sleep and make you doubt whether you're working too hard or not. But exercise yourself, believing that God is with you. Come on, trust in Him. Holy Spirit, begin with me this morning. Just fill me, fill us, fill us. If anybody has not yet received the Holy Spirit, you can do it right now. And if you want to lift your hands in the air, begin by making yourself uncomfortable. One of the first motions that will make you feel uncomfortable is raising your hands if you're not used to it. But come on, do it. Another motion is speaking with your mouth and, and worshiping God out loud. You may not feel comfortable doing that. Well, do it precisely because you feel uncomfortable. Break, break through. Come on. And if you feel the Lord is putting a, a words into your mouth that are different, and unaccustomed if you feel foolish beautiful you need to feel foolish and break through the foolishness that's perfect 
That is the way you break through the flesh and reason into the realm of the spirit. Come on, people of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you feel like singing in the spirit, go ahead and do it. Oh Lord, we, we invite you. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to come. Come, come, fill your people. Fill us, Lord. Fill Congregation Lion of Judah. Fill the city of Boston. Fill us with your gifts. Fill us with your power. We need more. Lord, we need more of you. Hallelujah. Reach the people who are in their homes right now, Father, because you know, you don't know about distances. You live in a virtual space. You rule. The, the, the space of virtuality you knew about the internet before it existed so touch them where they are Lord move their hearts move their spirits move their minds renew us heal us heal our emotions Father heal our emotions heal us Lord heal us Jesus from fear or from sadness or loss or trauma or self-doubt or doubts about the future Lord we commit these things to you right now in Jesus name come Holy Spirit come fill us fill us fill us Lord fill me fill me and we will walk in obedience we will walk in submission to your rules and to the laws of your spirit father I declare that anybody who asks will receive you will receive You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive power to break through your mental strongholds and, and your addictions. You'll receive power to break away from the inertia of failure and financial lack or lack of education or a, a traumatizing past. You receive. You have the power. Now all you got to do is work on it. Use the power and use your authority to make Take initiatives and move confidently and trust the process. Trust the faithfulness of God. Trust the character of God. Hallelujah. He will do what He has said He will do. I don't care whether I believe it or not. I trust in You, Father. You will not let us down. We see revival coming. We see Your visitation coming. Hallelujah. We see people being saved. We see miracles being performed. We see a church that is strong and influential. We see people that are just filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a people who will honor you with our ways, Father. And we thank you for this moment. We glorify you and we praise you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for filling me. Say that to the Holy Thank you for filling me. Thank you for visiting me. Now, continue perfecting the action that God has performed in your life. Now it's up to you. It's up to you to fan into flame. It's up to you. When you go home, don't let this moment just dissipate. Don't forget about it. Don't let the devil say to you, oh, that was just emotion. That was just hype. No, you got to now, you got to live like a spirit-filled Christian. Seeking, feeling anytime you feel thirsty. Drink again. Drink again. Drink from the waters. They're there waiting for you. Hallelujah. We, we proclaim healing. Healing, Lord. Healing and and over abundant provision yes hallelujah thank you thank you Holy Spirit hallelujah give the Lord a hand praise him hallelujah